You may have noticed something about the name Knight Frank, the second of those two words in particular. Frank. We've always prided ourselves on being just that with our clients, and never more so than now. So if you're thinking of selling or letting your home, contact your local Knight Frank office. We'll give you a frank opinion of its value, frank advice on the best pricing strategy, and a frank estimation of how quickly it will sell or let. What else would you expect from Knight Frank, your partners in property? Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast in the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts, their clients and our partners. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Emma Fletcher Brewer, a partner in our new homes team. Emma and I had a brilliant conversation about her experience of emigrating from London to Hong Kong, how her initial aspirations to enter the art world influenced her decision to focus her career on residential development, and how the global financial crisis impacted her work ethic. Emma began her property career back in 2006, following a degree in land use planning and management slash development at Nottingham Trent University. After seven years advising developers and investors on strategic land acquisitions, development strategies, financial modelling, valuation, and onward sales strategies in the UK, she relocated to Hong Kong and joined Knight Frank to work with our Asia-Pacific International Project Marketing Team, advising overseas investors on new portfolio acquisitions within prestigious developments in London, New York, Canada and Australia. Returning to London in 2014, Emma joined as a partner in our new homes team, and she currently runs one of the Baker Street-based teams specialising in new home sales and consultancy across London. Emma, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Wow, what an introduction. I feel like I'm on Desert island <laughs> I know, it's always quite uncomfortable sometimes, I feel like, listening to those sorts of things, because it's like, oh, have I done that? <laughs> I know, I was a bit like, is that me? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but how are you doing today? How are things going? Good. Um, yeah, I was just actually saying I'm very, very much looking forward to this um, potential heat wave we've got coming up. So um, it, I think it's uh, it will be most welcomed given the um, the first restrictions being lifted today. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's very exciting. It's it's kind of like rule of six sun. It feels like almost lockdown one, but better because we're actually allowed to do stuff this time exactly yeah (laughs) and on the topic of lockdown how has the experience over the past year been for you from both a sort of professional and a personal perspective um so well professionally um we've probably had one of our busiest years um for for a long long time and probably most successful as well so it's um once we sort of um got over the first um initial stages of um the first lockdown and obviously uh, estate agencies etc being shut we, we, we adapted pretty quickly um and yeah it's been full steam ahead since then um on a personal note um to begin with it was an absolute nightmare we've got um two young boys um who ran rings around us for the first lockdown um and so we very much welcome nurseries um, opening. and uh, lucky for us and not so lucky for many parents that have had children at school uh children at nurseries were able to return so we uh, we were able to get back to uh, a bit of normality oh amazing yeah i can imagine that trying to balance quite a hectic job alongside just parenting and i suppose homeschooling is just another level on that it must have been really really tricky yeah well I, to be fair i think um our four-year-old was 
pretty good, quite self-sufficient. But I think um, we, our littlest has got sort of second child syndrome and liked the attention quite a lot. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. But we uh, we got there in the end. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure we'll definitely go on to talk about um, lockdown and market conditions and everything that kind of comes into that later on in the podcast. But to begin every episode, I like to take people all the way back to the start of their careers to understand a little bit more about how they ended up where they are. So would you mind giving us a bit of an insight into why you chose a career in property in the first place? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, actually, my final A-level art submission actually led me to an offer from St. Martin's um, in London. Um, but it wasn't, which I was exceptionally happy about, uh, but it wasn't until my father pointed out that I would probably have to cut off an ear like Van Gogh to actually get recognised as an artist um, that I decided to think about other careers. Um, so it was it was always going to be something probably I looked into with my grandfather um, being a clerk of works. Um, my father has worked as a project manager uh, for years for global commercial developers. My mother's an interior designer, so it was only really my brother and I that had gone slightly rogue um, and started looking into a career in art. Um, so it, well, he's now ended up in special effects in LA. Uh, I'm now a chartered surveyor following a degree in design development and regeneration. And that sort of essentially gave me the best of both worlds in my eyes. So uh, that's sort of where it stemmed from. And uh, funnily enough, actually, my mother still keeps memory boxes for us both. Uh, my brother with his Oscar winning films uh, and me with my portfolio of sales particulars. Um, yeah, quite amusing to see. But joking aside, obviously, absolutely love what I do. Very fortunate to work with the best developer clients uh, around the world and, and the sort of outstanding global developments that we get to work on. So that is my background. Mm, that's such an interesting route in, actually. And I suppose... You, I spoke obviously in your intro about how you began in property and the sort of things you were doing at the start, but I suppose there's probably a bit of a link between residential development and art in that it's obviously, there's a little bit more creativity involved in it and it's managing a scheme from beginning to end rather than just selling something that already exists. Do you think that there is that link there? And do you think that's why you were drawn perhaps more to residential development and that side of the industry as opposed to traditional sales? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think I've, yeah, obviously with the background and how I've been brought up, um, definitely. And and I think that sort of interest in, you know, sort of the built form and that side of it was, was always something I wanted to sort of explore. And I suppose, you know, the creative side also gets wrapped up into that. And that's why the course um, I actually studied um, was design, development and regeneration. And we very much had a huge focus on sort of really, um, you know, groundbreaking regeneration projects where you sort of encompass architects, um, interior designers um, and interior architects and the sort of uh, built form around that and social economic um, side of it as well. So it was it was a really interesting course to do. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds so interesting. But what was it in particular about about ResDev and about sort of the, you spoke there about kind of the more financial side of it and the economic sides of things. Did you already have an interest in those sorts of things? Or did you think, I'm really interested in the the design and the architecture side of it, and this is something that I want to explore? How did you get into, I suppose, that side of it, as opposed to just looking at it from a purely design perspective? 
Um, so I, I actually, it was sort of when we were looking into it, when I was deciding what to do, um, following my father's comments about my uh, <laughs> artistic route, um, I, I had looked at sort of law and finance and, and those sorts of side of it as well. And I guess I really did like, as much as I love the creative side, that just wasn't ever going to be sort of enough for me. So I actually do being a bit of a geek, um, enjoy actually learning um, sort of more technical aspects as well. So the development process um, and my father is very much sort of on the um, quantity surveying, project management, building surveying side. So I'd already had that sort of exposure to the technical side of it as well. So it sort of was an overarching intro into everything. Um, and that sort of led me down the route of development. Mm, and and obviously again I mentioned this in your intro but you relocated to to Hong Kong after seven years uh, seven years after starting your career what inspired that move and how did you find the experience of of moving to Hong Kong and almost not necessarily starting again but starting on a completely new trajectory um well yeah it was uh it was bit of a different one um so I actually met my husband um as a graduate um, and that's not why I'm advocating a career in property um but it was sort of soon after our um New Year's Eve wedding actually that we went to Asia for our honeymoon um and to and see, see some friends out there uh Fletch my husband um has always loved Hong Kong um and whilst we were there he was actually invited to have an interview um I think most wives at that point would probably not have been too impressed but while he went off to meet his uh what was his future team I had a lovely time basking in the delights of Hong Kong and the uh, many amazing cocktails that the captain's bar at the Mandarin <laughs> has to offer um he was then offered a role to move out there and that's when I sort of jumped at the chance to take a role with Knight Frank which was in a completely different what I had been in previously um and that was into international project marketing and to say it was a baptism of fire would be a bit of an understatement. So um, I remember when we arrived um, and it was my first day at work, um, I was actually met with a T8 warning, which is an extreme typhoon warning. Um, and then when I eventually got to the office and met my new boss, I turned my computer onto a V card from my said boss uh, for her hairdresser, as I looked like Monica from Friends and needed to have what is known as a Brazilian blow dry. So uh, yeah, I think it was uh, fair to say the humidity out there is something else. <laughs> uh, but we ultimately wanted a change of scene and we definitely got it. So, um, And we were really lucky, to be fair, when we were out there with the people that we met. You, in those sort of circumstances and environments, you become really close to people out there and they're sort of your family instantly. Um, and I sort of love learning about the culture um, and actually to this day have the best um, memory book from my colleagues at the time who loved to tease me about the translation of my name into Cantonese um, and the cuisine and things. So um, I do miss those guys. Mm, that sounds amazing. And I think a lot of people that we've had on here who have spoken about moving to different countries for work or moving for sort of personal reasons, and they've spoken about how important that expat community is and how it's the one thing that they found that got them over that initial anxiety and trepidation that comes from emigrating somewhere new. Do you think that had you not had that sort of expat community and been able to sort of integrate into the culture and kind of learn lots of different things about it, do you think you would have found it found it difficult or are you the sort of person that adapts quite quickly to new situations and no matter what you'd have enjoyed it? 
Um, no, I mean, I think I'm I'm quite an outgoing individual, as as is my husband. Actually, we're both quite um, sociable um, and things like that. So I think in terms of meeting new people and, and that side of it, I think um, you know, although it's always daunting, um, you know, you you'd hope to adapt to to the situation. But I think what was very different about Hong Kong to sort of probably what many of our friends had done when they'd moved to sort of Singapore and places like that was there was that sort of language barrier and my team um, was actually fully Cantonese speaking um, who I actually worked with on a day-to-day basis which was um, quite funny sort of having to pick up body language and um, <laughs> and try and pick up on their conversations but I was again extremely lucky to have such a lovely team around me that made me feel very very welcome and sort of included me within their and and things despite how daunting some of that was <laughs> on the other occasion uh, and you have to be very polite sometimes on uh, on some of the cuisine which they would laugh at if they could hear this <laughs> yeah I hadn't even considered the the language barrier side of it did you actually end up learning Cantonese or learn, picking up any other language when you were out there so we attempted to because I was very much uh, well both of us were very um, conscious that you are sort of in somebody else's country uh, with their traditions and culture Um, so we did um, start to um, take lessons in Cantonese which yeah I I thought I was going to go in there and you know be able to pick it up like French or Spanish or something but uh, absolutely not um I um my husband had more of a um success with it because he actually speaks Welsh um so he was actually able to sort of pick up on it and speak it a lot better I probably learned to um understand it a lot more than he did because I I, I did have it around me all of the time so um yeah yeah, as long as you can understand bits of it, that's the most important thing. Um, and and obviously, we've touched there on moving abroad and, and already having a career and then picking it up and taking it to a new country. But looking back on your career, do you think that having such a vast array of different experiences, so not only working in the UK in one sector, but also working in a completely different side of it in another country, do you think that actually by doing all these things you've been able to flourish more in the industry and actually have more to bring to what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis now as opposed to if you'd have just stayed in the UK and done one thing do you think actually by doing lots of different things it's made you a better property professional um yeah um good question um (laughs) probably taking this (laughs) sort of second part of your question first regarding experience um sort of stem back from starting as a graduate um it it really did provide me with a fantastic foundation in order to help navigate a career in property which is what like 15 years ago now um so this vast array of areas um to go into and offshoots from those areas and geographical locations the exposure that you do get as a graduate in a global real estate firm is invaluable um, as you have covered, I started my career as a development surveyor, sort of specialising in mixed-use development, regeneration and strategic land. This then led me into more niche areas such as development, finance, urban extensions and placemaking. Um, but it was during those years, and I think this is probably a really important part of it, that I built up a really vast and close network of clients and professionals. Um, which majority I still have contact with today, sort of, you know, 15 years on. So the industry is really about people and relationships. Um, and you know, I was a newly qualified surveyor in the last financial crisis and learned very quickly 
but it was exactly the right time to sort of be meeting with your clients, taking them for coffees or you know me well, the odd wine. Um, it's the hard times that your clients need you um, and where you build your bonds and rely on the, your expertise and you value your ideas and going above and beyond. And I think it's all of those things. It's the experiences that, you know, I've been through through the financial crisis um, through the different areas that I've worked in and being abroad. It's all of those wrapped into one right from the very onset that sort of, yeah, I would hope make me a more well-rounded uh, property professional. Mm, and a lot of people actually touch on the the financial crisis and some people seem to have had really lucky experiences with it where they weren't necessarily too too impacted by it and other people have had the most horrendous experiences where they were made redundant or they just found it almost impossible to deal with. What was the experience of the global financial crisis like for you? Um, so it was, I mean... To be honest, we, well, I was very lucky. Um, we were, as I say, we were just newly sort of qualified. Um, but I I saw a lot of our team uh, made redundant. So, I mean, it almost felt like a uh, an episode of X Factor. You'd sort of um, go into the office at um, five o'clock and half of your team was sort of sent home. And the other half of the team was sort of told to carry on. So, um, but at the time I was um, in the sort of regions doing um, strategic land and regeneration and things like that. Um, and obviously a lot of the regions were, were very badly hit um, in comparison to probably central London to a degree. Um, so, I mean, I was very fortunate and actually I think it has really been a huge um valuable learning curve um going forward um but you know i think it obviously made a lot of our friends and colleagues a lot stronger um but it was yeah not not nice at the time to go through but you know it everyone got stronger from it really um and and going through those sorts of experiences probably make you more aware um and certainly your work ethic um i think most people that know me uh, know that my work ethic is something else because you're you're very conscious in, um, of what you have seen in the past and what can happen. Um, and so it's very, very important to ensure that clients are happy, kept abreast of everything and that you're you're on top form. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned there that your your work ethic was impacted by it and that it made you more determined to be doing stuff. And did it did it knock your confidence at all? Did it actually did you have to kind of pick yourself up from it and think this is was it like an active decision to be like right okay I'm going to make sure I'm working unbelievably hard to make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen to me or was that work ethic already there yeah I mean I think I'm quite lucky that I've been brought up by two parents that work exceptionally hard I mean my father has been in the property industry so um have seen exactly the sort of hours and things like that that you put into it but um I think um do I probably always live with that fear that you're like you you know need to make sure that you're top of your game yeah probably um because seeing what did happen and it you know and, and on the scale that um and on the scale that it did it was very daunting um and you know ultimately you you don't want to lose your job and you yeah you, you basically want to make sure that you're invaluable basically to the firm that you work for and to the clients that you work for um so yeah I always um, I probably push myself to the point of no return sometimes 
Hmm. And does that almost, you said, sort of putting, pushing yourself to the point of no return, but does that have an impact on your, your mental health? Do you find you have to put strategies into place so that you don't end up burning yourself out or pushing yourself, as you said, just far too hard? Um, well, luckily, I have two children that ground me every day they come home from nursery. So um, you don't really—you um, <laughs> might pick things back up after they've gone to bed. But um, yeah, they're, they're definitely a good circuit breaker um, for you to um, sort of check out for that sort of you know bath time, bedtime stories, and all of that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, you do. I'm I'm lucky. I do feel that. Um, I've um you know I can manage on things like that I don't overthink things I think that's probably how I handle um things so as much as I'll find something daunting or reflect on things that have happened it's very short-lived and then it's very much like pick it up and move on and that's probably from work experiences but also many personal experiences that we've gone through um and yeah I think you just you do need to make sure that you take some time out for yourself. Um, and as I say, I've got two children, which very much helped me do that. Um, but I'm, I'm very conscious that for those that I work around, um, that you don't sort of impose your work ethic upon them um, and that, you know, everybody is different and that people do need need to be, you know, need to have different time um, for themselves and things like that. So I think it's really important to just also be considerate, not just for yourself, but around you as well yeah exactly and I'm always kind of wary of the way that I phrase this question because I try not to talk about it with with women in particular that much but because you've just spoken about children I'd be really interested to to speak to you about it because sort of having conversations behind the scenes with people who are not just in the property industry but in wider industries as well they often talk about the impact that maternity leave has on on their career and especially with an industry as you spoke about that's so dependent on people and relationships and is so fast moving and obviously sales can be quite a a dog eat dog world how did you find the experience of taking maternity leave and then returning to the workplace did you find that it was something that was almost a bit of a a non-issue did you just settle back in after you'd done it or how did you find that experience was it difficult in any way um, so, um, <laughs> being the person I am, I was absolutely petrified about, um, essentially even telling, um, people I worked with, um, just because I was like, oh my goodness, will this have an effect on my career and things like that? Not that it was ever put out there, um, within my workplace that that was ever going to be an issue. It's just my own sort of self-doubt sort of creeping in, I suppose. Um, and, and just the concern about it is a you know an area that you've never sort of explored before. So it was um, it was quite daunting from that aspect. Um, I also didn't take a full twelve months, um, and I've obviously had two children. So um, on both occasions, I I actually um, did six months maternity leave um, and came back after that. But I think you get so wrapped up in um, when you actually have um the baby and everything else that you you know you you sort of have to focus on that but also I, I was very very lucky again that I'd got the clients and the um the colleagues that I had got who you know stayed in touch like throughout the six months that I was off um and you know that for me that sort of not the pressure to stay involved but that sort of touch points were, were really useful 
Um, but yeah, I think um, I think it can be quite daunting. But I think when you've got sort of a great team around you, and I have to say, I was very very lucky um, with my uh, immediate boss at the time. Um, he because I came back after six months. Um, not all nurseries um, allow you to have your children in full time for. So um, he sort of offered a working from home, like, you know, it's that trust, I think, that you build up over time, um, which which he had in me um, and, and sort of said to come back to do sort of four days because um, he knows what I'm like. And uh, <laughs> I work seven days pretty much anyway. So it's um, yeah, it was it was daunting to begin with, um, but I, I wasn't away for all that long, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really important point to have noted about and being vulnerable about the fact that you did find it daunting, because I think so many women are scared to say that they're intimidated by the prospect of having to take maternity leave and having kids and all the sort of myriad issues that surround that, because in a world that is unfortunately, or not unfortunately, that's really the wrong way to say it, but it is it's not a particularly equal industry in, in terms of the amount of men and women that are in the industry that it does seem mm. to be women who are disproportionately affected by that. So I think it's really valuable to people to hear that you don't have to, it doesn't have to have a negative impact on your career and that you can be vulnerable enough to admit that it, it was daunting, but it doesn't have to have those negative ramifications. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I've, again, I've been very lucky that um, I've had a mother who sort of owned her own business um, and a family with very, very strong women. But father's got three very headstrong sisters which make for great family gatherings actually um and I was never sort of made to think that women can't or couldn't so I've never sort of looked at myself as a woman in property so to speak um and hoped I'd always sort of be judged on my abilities but I'd say this was probably the first time that it ever sort of crept in um that you know you are clearly a woman at this point because you are going on maternity leave but that is not because um, of the way that my place of work treated me or anything like that 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 was genuinely just your own self-doubt mm, yeah and so to to kind of wrap up the point of of sort of lessons learned of your in your career so far and and convey those to people who may be looking at what you're doing and thinks I would love to be doing something similar what advice would you give to somebody who perhaps is on on the graduate scheme or at the very beginning of their property career and would like to be doing something similar probably threefold actually um I'd, I'd probably say firstly don't be put off thinking that you need to have a background in property to go into it um, you don't necessarily need a degree in property to go into a career in property or become a chartered surveyor. Um, and I think it is the diversity that makes property such a great industry to be in. Um, it's evolved a lot. Uh, many global firms now offer apprenticeships. Um, our team secretary, for example, did distant learning and qualified as a surveyor on the job. So um, I think there's a lot of different options out there now to what there were when I first started out. Um, secondly, I think sort of exposure um, and gaining as much early years experience as possible. Most firms offer some placements now on work experience, and this is something I would hugely recommend because the area of property is ever evolving. Um, and for example, Knight Frank have just invested in a prop tech business. Um, we have a new data centers department and Knight Frank Capital Advisors. All of these areas, I don't believe people would know a firm like Knight Frank necessarily have unless they know who to talk to, where to look and sort of have exposure um, to it through work experience or, 
or summer placements. Um, and then thirdly, um, I'd probably, <laughs> this is coming from experience, I'd be open to experiences that the industry offers. Um, I've had a wealth of experiences with amazing clients in amazing locations and it's because I've just been open to them. Um, as we say, sort of the world property, it, although it is vast and sort of ever-changing, it's also really small. Um, and the skills that you perfect in one area are completely transferable across most sectors. And the people and the clients that you meet in one area, you're likely to come across time and time again in one way or another over your career. Yeah, that's some really great advice. And I think people will find that that's so useful and also to approach it in a more practical way. I think sometimes we're, we're all sort of, uh, more keen to give advice that's a little bit more overarching but actually having those tangible things that you can do I think will be really useful for people and touching on your career now and the role that you currently do um, as I've already mentioned you you sit within our Baker Street new homes team but for people who have absolutely no idea what that involves can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and what your wider team does? Yep, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's this is probably going to be a bit of a long one. So um, I've obviously gone from advising developers um, on land acquisitions, funding, planning, massing, etc. A number of years ago, um, through to sort of post planning consultancy and sales and marketing strategies, which is what we do now. And now I get to sort of touch and feel the end product. And my goodness, do we get exposed to some amazing developments? Uh, with world-class developers, architects, interior designers, etc. So um, new homes and property has come a long way over the years and probably none more so in the past year, um, with developers and investors being more conscious than ever about ESG and carbon neutral development, health and well-being, walkable neighbourhoods, etc. And so we're always having to keep adapting our strategies for clients um, to ensure that we are at the forefront of new research trends in the sector this will include the way we market properties as well as how we advise the developer to deliver uh, looking at cost versus need the environment um, having regard for property being cyclical and ever-changing which is why it's so exciting but also very fast-paced and then if you take today for example I have had meetings with two developer clients and we've got two extremely exciting new launches coming up in the next few months We're finalising the global launch strategy, uh, which will be UK and overseas, meeting with marketing and branding agencies and interior designers, whilst also having regard for the fact that we might not be launching in person and it might be virtually again. Um, And at the same time, I'll be liaising with our sort of sales teams regarding ongoing purchases, building offers coming in, catching up with our clients um, across our global network. So it's it's quite varied, uh, to say the least. Um, and I'm extremely lucky with my team because we've all come from different backgrounds and have all got um, our own skill sets and things. So, um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic and diverse team which generates many, many ideas on how to sort of market and sell these properties in these great developments. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I didn't, I mean, I I work with with your teams quite a lot. And I didn't realise the amount of stuff that was involved in launching one one project, and all the things that go on behind the scenes. And you touched a little bit there on launching virtually. And that links quite nicely into the next question I wanted to ask, which was how COVID has shaped the, the residential development and new homes market over the past year. Have you found that you said in at the beginning that you think it's actually it's been one of your most successful years? 
years in terms of this kind of sales of, of new builds and things like that. But from a sort of behind the scenes perspective, as well as what happens in terms of the actual creation of the deal, how has COVID impacted the, the sector? Well, well, uh, this is actually <laughs> very timely. Um, it's now going to sound like this is a massive plug, um, but I'm actually organising with colleagues from research and residential development um, and some of our most notable uh, developer clients um, an online presentation uh, on this exact topic. Um, and I think rather than shape the industry, I think it's probably fast-tracked trends that were already apparent, um, things like health and well-being, dynamic working, uh, prop tech, things that can take years to deliver normally, um, adapt to and change have been far more widely recognised in a far quicker in the past year, um, calling for that need for change, which hence why there's been changes in stamp duty, the viewing process, um, the very much talked about flight from London, but also the, the flight within London to greener boroughs. Um, and as I say, we have had our busiest and probably one of the most successful years um, in spite of the pandemic. And London remains, as we've sort of recently published in our wealth report, sort of at the top. So, yeah, it's I wouldn't say that it's necessarily um, shaped the industry. I think it's probably just fast tracked many of the trends that were already apparent. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting, actually. So I suppose with traditional kind of resi sales, as people would see it in terms of like on the high street estate agents, things haven't changed that much in the sense that there's more virtual viewings and that sort of thing. But the property stuff remains the same. Those are still houses that need to be sold. But I suppose with ResDev, it's a lot more looking at the amenities that are involved in in projects and schemes and things like that and how they've changed, I suppose. Yeah, and and again, we we will be um, on the webinar that we're um, on the presentation that we'll be um, launching with our developer clients. We are actually using three sort of case studies of three of our major developments, which sort of outline um, all of the hot topics really that have been taken into account. And I think that's why saying that it's um, sort of fast track trends rather than shape the industry, because many of those case studies actually had already got much of the buzzwords in place in terms of health and well-being amenities, um, walkable neighbourhoods, you know, creating um, a sense of place. Um, and I think it's probably showing that as much as we used to always link our developments to central London, that actually the immediate locale, that sort of butcher baker, candlestick maker type environment, urban village environment is is um, ever more important than it ever has been. Mm, and I suppose I always want to ask people about social media because I have a particular vested interest in it. Um, but do you feel that on that topic of fast tracking trends and and having to bring new developments into these trends quicker than initially planned, do you think that having a digital profile and the sort of social media digital side of the residential development and new homes industry, do you think that that's been also propelled by by what's been going on over the past year? And have you found yourself having to engage more with social media and the sort of digital side of it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, I even feel like a dinosaur in comparison to most, and I'm sort of in my 30s and, and fairly au fait. Um, but I think a prime example um, of where this really worked for our team um, was a development we launched in the first lockdown. So I had just returned from maternity leave um, and we needed to ad adapt to the sort of ongoing pandemic, the fact that offices, estate agencies were closed and basically we needed to either go big or go home with this particular new launch. So 
the power of social media and that sort of layering of consistent messaging across all mediums really helped to underpin the excitement that we were trying to create around this new launch. Um, we, we ended up launching it virtually um, as the news broke that the property sector in the UK could return to work. So we adapted the strategy very quickly, bringing the launch forward in order to sort of take advantage of the pent up demand. Um, and thankfully, uh, we ended up reserving 80% of the development in 48 hours um, and 100% reserved and exchanged on 160, which were all of the apartments within two weeks. So this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the power of social media and its global reach. Um, but as far as my own profile is concerned, I'm probably not as advanced as many of my colleagues and think some of our Knight Frank um, ambassadors, which we've got, are amazing in this regard. And there's, well, we have got so many great accounts to follow. Yeah, that's incredible about that, um, the development that reserved 80% in the first 48 hours that's unbelievable and at the moment what sort of what schemes are you working on at the moment have you got anything launching in the next kind of few weeks or months or is there anything you're working on at the moment that you're particularly excited about launching yep um so um basically I mean I think it's it's fairly um known out there that the um there's a huge drive for sort of affordable homes um by the GLA and homes for Londoners um and we've had a really big focus and been very fortunate over the past few months to win pitches um, with the likes of Peabody, uh, Catalyst um, and Fabric A2 Dominion, which are um, some housing associations with fantastic new launches. Um, so we have the Arden, uh, which is between Greenwich, Deptford and Lewisham, which is with Peabody. Um, we have Portobello Square with Catalyst, which is in Notting Hill. Um, and we've just launched Hamwell Square, um, which is on the doorstep again of Crossrail, continuing this sort of resurgence of West London living. Um, so th that side of it, that's all happening in the next few weeks. Um, and then we've got the much anticipated completion of 25 Marleybone with Native Land, which is a collection of 25 homes on the Portman Estate, just around the corner from Baker Street, actually. Um, and also the launch of Native Land's uh, bank side development, which is on the third, which we are super excited for this. Um, and then also watch this space for the next phase of the Verdian by Mount Anvil, which will be launching uh, fastest selling development in London after 2020. Amazing. And we'll make sure that we link in the description of this episode the links to all of these things so that people can go and check them out and see how amazing they are for themselves. And to bring us back on to, to you in particular and your home, would you mind telling us a little bit about your home and what it was about it that made you decide to, to purchase it? Yep, sure. Um, so... <laughs> Um, God, I am actually going to seem like a, a bit of a cliche now, but um, following uh, the arrival of Rufus, which is our second son, um, it was pretty apparent that our two-bedroom flat, which we loved um, and had many a party in, was, as um, put it, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get this right, but it was titchy for three, teeny for four, so we had to move up north for more. Um, so we ended up selling our garden flat in Cath. Uh, Clapham through Night Frank, no less, um, in November 2019, um, and moved just outside the county of Rutland, um, which is 50 minutes to London St Pancras, which in fact is the same as my Clapham commute to Baker Street. However, the commuter costs are somewhat different, out. Um, but we wanted to be closer to family, babysitters, joking. 
um, and also wanted another project um, to do. So the scale of what we did uh, was somewhat immense in comparison to our Clapham bed garden flat. Um, but most importantly, we really wanted for Wilf and Rufus to have what we both had growing up, which was sort of fields, space and, and fresh air. Um, and not saying we know our stuff, but Rutland has just been voted the uh, the place outside of London to live in 2021, according to a major news publication. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get me wrong, um, we absolutely loved London. And it was with a heavy heart that we left, but we do get the best of both worlds now, or we will when we can come back together and return to the office anyway. Yeah, that's amazing. And and for you, is it having is having that countryside, being out in nature and stuff, is that really important for you to feel like you have a bit more work life balance? Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, we are in a village that um, has actually quite a few people that have moved up here from London, actually. So we've actually got a really cool, um, quirky little cafe and home store in the village, which has cocktails and things. So you do feel like you sort of still on the North Coat Road sometimes, but in um, sort of a, um, so you get sort of that balance of being able to nip down and go and get your oat milk latte, if I am that person, um, but still be able to um, actually go out into the fields and go for nice long country walks and um, and then, you know, return back to your desk sort of thing. So no, we are exceptionally lucky with, with where we moved to. Yeah, definitely. I know as as a fellow sort of Clapham resident, I can say that the Clapham Common, as great as it is, it's not quite a massive expanse of fields. It's just not the same. <laughs> um, and sort of looking back on on your career and, and all the amazing things it sounds like you've done throughout throughout the course of it is there any particular and I know this is a really difficult question and it'll be almost impossible to narrow it down to just one or two things but looking back what are some of the key sort of experiences and highlights of your career so far uh wow uh there are a lot <laughs> I'm actually you know I'm gonna go for the oddest one if that counts um I was asked by a client to sell a former quarry uh with planning consent for residential development in Cheddar Gorge um, which hopefully all of you know is where cheddar cheese was invented. Uh, <laughs> and after many years, I can say, of marketing the hole in Cheddar Gorge, I actually sold the quarry for quoted guide price, and it later appeared in a very famous bond. <laughs> I think that sort of says that you have to keep an open mind <laughs> to what you're presented with. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's mad. <laughs> it was very odd. Yeah, well, I suppose if... of the other things are a lot more exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, if that's one way to to promote property as a diverse industry, I don't know what is. <laughs> so, to begin to wrap up every podcast, we do a quick fire round, and the first question of which is: city or country? Um, I do love the country, but nothing quite beats the buzz of the city classic or contemporary um i think classic for the history and for the stories that classical buildings tell um but then in fairness contemporary because having two boys makes it impossible to ever live in a contemporary environment so one day i will really look forward to that <laughs> penthouse or townhouse penthouse got to be you're always going to get the views cool or email 
call i am not a fan of keyboard warriors office or working from home um i think both i think if the past year's taught us anything that balances everything instagram or linkedin uh instagram walk or run uh i think walk because you can take it all in and um yeah running's probably too similar to the pace of life i live in general to be fair (laughs) (laughs) and finally london or rutland Um, I'm going to go Rutland because I get to travel down on the train to go to work to London. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You got the best of both with that one. Um, and the final question that we ask everybody is that now in our 125th year as Night Frank, what does being a partner in property mean to you? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I suppose it's a bit like being a partner to anyone in life, really, a mother, wife, daughter, sister, etc. So I think it's It's about being that go-to reliable figure for a client, a colleague or a graduate, um, and that you can offer trusted advice without obligation um, and always ensuring you can provide innovative ideas and solutions. Amazing. Emma, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.